This week, we are entering into the third conversation we've uh, been having about power and about the use of power, about how Jesus chose to use the power that he had been given for the flourishing and the good of others. Power, rightly used, is the ability to create or make something of the world. Power should be used to flourish and to help others flourish. And so we've had a couple weeks of conversations about what that flourishing looks like and what is our responsibility to join in the flourishing of others. Now, I don't know about you, but many of us um, have probably experienced a decent amount of privilege in our lives. Maybe we don't always think of ourselves as privileged people. That's probably a good thing. We don't wake up in the morning and and think of how great we are, how privileged we are, and, and walk out the door. But most of us experience on a regular basis a very consistent string of privileged experiences. We're trained to see just the special privileges that pop up, the extra perks when someone hands you front row seats to a game. I had a friend once whose best friend happened to be the son of an NBA team owner, and they got handed tickets once to a playoff game in the folding chairs on the floor, right? I mean, that's a pretty great privilege. Years ago, when I was traveling with about 20 high school students here from Christ Church of Oakbrook, we had gone to the Dominican Republic. And getting ready to fly, we had, of course, gone to O'Hare, and our flight was delayed. There was a little light bulb that had burned out in the cockpit, and it delayed us by three hours. We flew to Miami and then waited seven hours in Miami, only to be told that we couldn't get to the Dominican Republic, but they were going to send us to San Juan, Puerto Rico instead. It's like, all right, send us to San Juan. So we were on our way to a mission project, and we ended up spending two days at a beach resort. No luggage, by the way, no luggage. <laughs> then we, we do our whole week. We finally get there. We do a whole week of, of God's good work, hanging out with people in the DR, celebrating life with them, serving together. We get ready to go home, and I kid you not, the exact same thing happens. A light bulb burns out on the cockpit of the plane, right? We're delayed again. We get to Miami, and the American airline agent who was helping us just giggled and said, I am so sorry. She goes, but I have five seats in first class. She says, do you want to give them to the students, or do you want one of them? I was like, oh, I want one of those seats in first class. I had never flown first class before. Neither had the students that I handpicked. I just picked my favorites. I'm like, you're sitting with me in first class. And, uh, and about halfway through the flight, when they bring the warm um, hot chocolate chip cookies out, right, on the plates in first class, and one of our students grabbed one of the cookies and parted the curtains that separate like the light from the dark on a, on a flight like that and goes like this to show their friends and coach, we have hot cookies up here. And they were just excited, right? But like the look, and I was like going, I'm like, no, 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 come, come back up here, right? It's so much of life is pursuit of the hot cookie, right? Right? I mean, think about it. You get the hot cookie, you get the first class seat. You want to keep that, keep that going. Where are the rest of the cookies? Don't take the cookie away. I look at privilege like that, I don't think to myself of all the things I had just by the sheer fact of where I was born at the time of history, the DNA that I had nothing to do with. I was born, I am a white girl from the suburbs of Chicago, and with that comes things that I didn't even realize growing up that other people all throughout the world did not have. I was born in here, obviously in the United States, 
a country that has benefited from the Industrial Revolution with a military presence, whether it's agreeable or not, almost all over the world. And with that came certain privileges. And all I saw when I was growing up was that my mom and dad didn't buy me a car in high school when I wanted one. My parents could pay the bills. That meant I had heat and water and electricity and it just happened every day and I never thought about it. I am the daughter of three generations of European immigrants. And so by the time I was born, my family had figured out how to speak the native language of this country and I didn't have to learn that or work toward that. And we live in a culture where I, as a female, can stand up here and, and, and talk, and women can get educations. That's a privilege that is rare in so many parts of the world. All of us come from different backgrounds, different situations. We have different types of privilege. We are all privileged in some way. We are sitting here today with heat and lights. There's donuts. There's coffee, there's bananas, there's diapers in the nursery for babies. That's not a luxury that everybody has. We all have some form of privilege. So the question is, what do we do with the privilege, with the cookie, right? What do we do with what God has given us? And how did Jesus use the privilege and the status, the power that he had? Andy Crouch says that privilege is a special kind of power. It is a form of power that requires no effort. Indeed, only in unusual circumstances do we become conscious of it at all. Most of the time, privilege just works on behalf of those who have it, never making the slightest demands of them. We have a responsibility to recognize privilege and see the role it plays and how power gets worked out in our culture, in our homes, and around the world. What is our responsibility in that system? Was Jesus privileged? I mean, yes, yes, Jesus was privileged. He was the son of God, right? If you could look at him and say, well, perhaps there was no one more privileged than Jesus, but Jesus never used the privilege he had to the detriment of others. When he was at the high point of his power, he had an entourage that traveled with him. He could walk into any town and any community and crowds would come running to hear him speak, to see a miracle. He could walk into just about any home, if you think of Mary and Martha, and instantly find a meal there waiting for him. In all four Gospels, in Luke, John, Mark, Matthew, over and over and over again, we are told that when Jesus went out, the crowds came. When Jesus came down from the mountains, the crowds came. The story of Lazarus, the, or, uh, Nicod or Z Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, sorry, I just lost my mind for a second. Zacchaeus, right? He comes running down the road and he's hanging from a tree because there's such a huge crowd gathered that he can't even get close to Jesus to see him. Jesus had tremendous privilege and power, and yet he chose to use it for good. If anyone could have commanded the best table in the house, 50 yard line tickets, it would have been Jesus, and he never used it for his good. Jesus was in trouble with the authorities and the religious leaders of the day because he chose against the system that put privileges and status ahead of others. 
He confounded the religious leaders because he didn't play into their hands. He didn't give into their privilege. He didn't care that he had privilege. It's ultimately what got him crucified because the angry mob of his own kind, other religious leaders, other Jewish folks, just like he was a Jewish man, wanted him gone because he refused to play into the system. We come to a story like we have for our text for today, and we see this man, Jairus. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He is a prominent figure in the community, a prominent figure in their culture. And his daughter falls gravely ill. And we see that he gives up on keeping his status and just rushes to Jesus and throws himself, embarrassingly perhaps, at the feet of Jesus and says, my daughter has just fallen ill. Jesus, please come. Do that thing you do heal her. Jesus says, all right, let, let's do this, right? So suddenly you can feel the crowd growing, right? The crowd is with them again, and they're moving through the streets. And they're wondering, what's he going to do? How's this going to go down? Maybe I can get as close to this as possible because Jesus is probably going to perform a miracle, and I get to say I was there, right? You can feel the people moving with him in this scene. And on the way to one miracle, another miracle crashes in and interrupts. It's this unexpected woman who has no name in this story. Talk about privilege. She doesn't even have a name in this story. We're simply told that she had a physical ailment that had rendered her sick for 12 years. And as hard as that sounds to our contemporary ears, it would have been even more astounding for her. She would have been considered, quote, ceremonially unclean to the people around her, which meant she was never allowed to go to worship. She was kept on the outside of the community. Until she was healed, she was isolated. And if people even came into physical contact with her, brushed up against her, they were considered unclean too, and they were going to have to remove themselves from community. And so she is desperate and isolated and alone, and she hears Jesus is coming to town. And she probably bumped into everybody because she finds herself laying in the dirt on the floor in the front row close enough that when he walks past, she grabs the hem of his coat, hoping that just the mere touch of him will heal her. And it did. Scripture tells us that she was healed. And what happens? Jesus turns around instantly and says, who touched me? Who just touched me? He felt power go out from him. And one of the first things I want to point out for us here is the way Jesus uses his privilege and his power to notice others, those who are unseen by everybody else. That entire community had all but forgotten about this woman. And Jesus walks past, realizes what has happened, and he notices her. And he doesn't just give her a little wave or kind of a wink after she grabs his coat. He actually stops the scene and lifts her up. How many times do we use our privilege and our power to lift somebody else up? It's not easy to lift up folks that are different than us, who maybe we feel are needing something from us or folks we just don't seem to recognize or know or understand. 
David Anderson says it's hard to help folks who, quote, don't shine like the stars around us. It's a lot easier to want to run off with Jairus and Jesus than it is to stop and do what Jesus did and see this woman. And David Anderson, in a book called Gracism that I highly recommend to everybody, says this, there are no people groups on the planet who do not matter. Everyone should be included in the circle of honor, regardless of color, class, culture, popularity, giftedness, or personality. And this is what Jesus does for this woman. He sees her. He does the same thing for the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He notices her. One of the great ways we can use our privilege is simply to notice people. How often do we race past people and conversations that are asking for our time and our attention, our energy, our honor, our ability to stand with people because we're in hot pursuit of the next cookie, right? I mean, this is, this is the way our minds work in race, and we need to stop and do what Jesus did and stand with others and see them. The gift that he gave her that day was not only that he healed her, but he saw her. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And the disciples and the other followers with him, they question him on this. Seriously, Jesus, you are in a crowd of people. Everyone just bumped into you and touched you. We have somebody who needs you. There is a little girl who's gravely ill. Let's go. Let's move this thing along. And he heals her. He talks to her. And what does he do? He holds her up then as a model of faith. Like I said, he didn't, you know, they, they could have had a sort of quiet understanding as Jesus walked past. She could have felt the healing and sort of been like, ooh, cool, okay, I'm all right now. Jesus could have done one of these, right? We got our thing going here. We don't need to make a big deal about it. And when he called her up, she had to be at once both overjoyed at the, the physical healing that she was sensing that she had and also completely and utterly terrified. She wasn't supposed to be there the consequences of her being there would have been huge. And Jesus honors her. He doesn't just say, okay, it was nice that I helped you. Now, you know, pat her pejoratively on the head and send her back. He held her up as a model. You know, one of the great things that we have with privilege is the ability to, to, to step down from it and to choose to hold others up as a model, to see in others what is good? You know, there's a tendency when you have privilege and status to think that everybody who doesn't somehow knows less than you or has figured out less about life than you. We know that's not true, but there's a very natural tendency to think in that direction. Those people who lack those resources must not know everything that we know. How do you learn from people who on the surface appear to have less, but who really have a whole lot more? figured out than most of us do? How do we honor them? How do we pull people up like Jesus does with this woman? And you can feel the tension in the story. Jairus is probably freaking out by now, right? My daughter, my daughter, my daughter. You know what Jesus does? He goes and heals his daughter. He heals. But along the way, he stops and he notices and he uses the privilege that he has to lift this unnamed woman 
completely ostracized by her community up out of the death, out of the dust. Honoring people who we think are different than us and who maybe we think don't deserve honor is sharing grace with them. Look at us. You know, I, I have screwed up so much in my life. Look at what we do to each other. Look at war and terror and violence all over the world and look at how self-centered we can act and behave and yet what happens? God loves us. He gives grace to us. He honors what he created in us. So who are we to not share that with others? But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And one of the opportunities that comes with privilege is the ability to honor others and to lift up those who don't seem to quite have the opportunities that some of us have. When we have these conversations, I'm always reminded of Pope Francis. He is such a beloved figure globally right now, so much so that Forbes recently listed him as the fourth most powerful person in the world. Behind global leaders and in front of billionaires, they put Pope Francis number four on the list. And there was a funny story about uh, what used to be called in the early 80s the Pope Mobile. I don't know if anybody knows. It was this sort of like bulletproof bubble thing that like the Pope would, would, would cruise in because they were afraid that he was going to get shot at or um, maybe be attacked or something like that. And Pope Francis refuses to cruise in the Pope Mobile. He calls it a sardine can. And much to the chagrin of his security guards, when he landed in Brazil, and wanted to get to the city of Rio, downtown, he hopped in a Fiat and cruised all the way to Rio. And they, they couldn't keep up with him. They couldn't keep him safe. And why, why does he choose not to exercise that privilege and to separate himself and be up and above and, and pontificate, right? He, he doesn't want to use his privilege for that because his call is to be with people and to hug them and to touch them and to lift them up and to love on them the way Jesus did. And I think it's a great example. Jesus chose to surround himself with disciples who were a mess, who were argumentative, fishermen, folks who did not line up on anybody else's list, who didn't show up on anybody else's list. And Jesus chose them to be the agents of change that we still talk about today. And what happened when he gathered them? They argued over power and privilege. The mother of James and John actually went up to Jesus and said, when you rule, when you're in charge, can you put one of my sons at the right and one of my sons at the left? Right? Not the first time a mother meddled, right? <laughs> when Jesus is within hours of his death, they are jockeying for position. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Luke says it this way, a dispute also rose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. They're arguing over who's going to get the best seat next to Jesus. And meanwhile, Jesus knows he's about ready to go to the cross. And then the ultimate betrayal of one of the 12, one that he pulled into his circle, Judas. What are you willing to give me, Judas says. If I deliver him over to you, 
So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. How many cookies <laughs> you want to give me if I do this thing for you? What kind of privilege, religious leaders, will you give me if I take the friendship and the relationship and the community and the work I've done with this man and hand him over to you? Jesus was, or Judas was not a separated bystander, someone who just came out of the crowd to betray Jesus. He was one of the 12. And his lust for power and for privilege, for his own gain, brought him to betray Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we live by graciously giving our privilege to others, by understanding what we have, by sharing our power with them? Like I said, it is in us to try to maintain what we've got. You know, after I got to fly first class, the next time I was on an airplane, I literally was like, what is this, coach? I don't want to be in coach anymore, right? Okay, get over yourself, right? Because you know what? Statistically, less than 10% of the people on planet Earth will ever see the inside of an airplane. Most people live in places where the planes just fly over, and those privileged people are going on vacation or to work or whatever it is. How do we flip our mindset? How do we live so that we are not lulled to sleep with a, with, with a sense of indifference? I mean, we, we, we don't know what we have because it, it hasn't always been pointed out to us and we have a responsibility now that we know to look for what we have, but we also have the privilege of remaining indifferent if we want. We can look at the problem in the box and choose not to engage it because we have that luxury. We have that privilege. L.V. Saul says this, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of beauty is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, but indifference between life and death. James puts it this way, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. We want to maintain our comfort and our privilege. I'm reminded of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a brilliant German theologian and scholar who did his work during the World War II era. If you want to know anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, take Eric Campfield to lunch. Uh, the man has studied him profusely and can tell you everything there is to know about him. But in short, he was in New York City, a German man in New York City during the height of World War II, and realized as a German that he belonged back in Germany fighting for the good instead of letting the Nazi regime traipse all over Europe. And so he left the safety of the United States on the other side of the ocean from the war and went back to re-engage in Germany. And he said this, I have come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. So he actually jumped on the last steamer at that time that was crossing over to Germany. 
and spent a couple years fighting for good, writing and doing work, and was executed two weeks before the war ended. This is the sort of giving up of privilege that we are being invited into. Do you see how that feels? It's scary. You know, when I, um, when I get on 294 by my house, there's two billboards I see right away when I get on the expressway. One is a billboard that says, love your home, question mark. And then it's a list of remodeling projects that you could do. And I see that billboard and I think to myself, I don't know if I love my home, but I kind of like it. Maybe I should love it. Maybe we should remodel the kitchen. Maybe we need new granite. Maybe we need a new front door. And I start thinking of all the things I have the privilege to think about as I drive in my car to a job or to an event that I am privileged enough to have the resources to do. And then I see another billboard about a mile up that says, donate your suit. It's a ministry to help people who do not have the resources to dress well for an interview, get clothing so that they can go with dignity to a job interview to get the interview, to get the paycheck, to pay for the suit. One of my very, very best friends from seminary is a chaplain at a federal prison in Colorado. And he says one of the hardest things the guys have to deal with when they get released from prison is that they don't have any clothes to go to an interview in. Not only do they have a felony on their record, they don't even have a suit to interview in. And I'm guessing I'm not alone when I struggle with these things in my brain. I'm wondering if you all can relate. Because on the one hand, I have the privilege of wondering if I should remodel my kitchen. And then on the other hand, there's people that need clothing. And I have a closet full of stuff I don't wear. <laughs> right? And that's just, that's just cleaning out a closet. I mean, what can we do with what we have? What is the opportunity we have been called to live into? What is expected of us because we are people of privilege. And again, different forms of privilege for all of us, different stories, but what is God asking you to do? Who is laying on the road where you are and needs to be seen and celebrated and lifted up and learned from and given to so that the kingdom of God can flourish? so that we can flourish in the giving. There is so much good that happens in our own souls when we choose to release our privilege. Richard Rohr says, in a certain sense, we are utterly on the wrong track. He says, soul knowledge sends you in the opposite direction from consumerism. It's not addition that makes one holy, but subtraction. Stripping the illusions, letting go of the pretense, exposing the false self, breaking open the heart, and understanding, and not taking oneself too seriously. Conversion is more about unlearning than learning. Do you feel what it's like to give privilege? Galatians 6, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let us do good to all people. This is what Jesus models over and over and over again. And it is the expectation God has for those of us who live in cultures like ours, inhabit the worlds that we do, work in the circles that we work in, are privileged enough to have the conversations we have. What is God asking you to do with your privilege? The one challenge I want you to do this week, I want you to go home. It's going to feel a little narcissistic, I think, for a second. Go home 
and list out 10 privileges you have, 10 things that you have that maybe you have always taken for granted. It might be running water and electricity, I don't know. But take an inventory. What do I have that I have always taken for granted that somebody else doesn't? And then when you're done with that, ask yourself, can I be an agent of change to help other people get that too? To help other people receive and flourish and grow the way I have been privileged to receive and flourish and grow. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that we get certain privileges, Lord. We didn't ask for them. We were born with them. Sometimes we don't understand them, Lord. So often we don't even see them. But Lord, they exist. Privilege exists in this world. So help us, Lord, to see how we can take our privileges and use them for your glory and your flourishing and your good. Help us use our power, Lord. Let us be agents of change in this world. Let us reach out and lift up like you did so consistently over and over and over again. And Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us for all the times and the places and the ways we've missed it and the ways we've gotten it wrong. Have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And all of God's people said, amen.